Welcome to the Valley Brook Community Church Podcast, and thank you for joining us online today. You're about to hear a message from our current study, Transformed. This series will look at people's encounters with Jesus and see how he transformed their lives forever. To watch any of our previous messages or find all listening platforms, we encourage you to visit www.valleybrook.cc forward slash on demand. Enjoy. Well, happy Easter to everybody here in the house and everybody joining us online. We're glad you're here and we're just excited because today we're kicking off a new series. Now, now I want you to think about this. On Easter, around the world, people who believe in Jesus are gathering to celebrate that, that he is alive, that he's risen from the dead, that the tomb is empty, and that we can know him. And, and in fact, in, in churches, there will be a, a type of call and response celebration between the leader and the people that goes something like this. The Lord is risen. The Lord is risen indeed. So let's try that this morning. The Lord is risen. Awesome. That is amazing. You guys are great. And he is risen indeed. And because the reality of Jesus' life, his death and resurrection means that he came and lives so that we could know that God loves us. And we understand that he died to pay the sin, pay for the sins of the world, for you, for me, for everyone. And because Jesus rose again from the dead, that means he defeated the power of sin and death to guarantee everyone who truly believes in him and follows him that they'll be forgiven of their sins and receive the promise of eternal life. And that's the best news in the world. And in fact, we celebrate that not just on Easter Sunday, but truly every Sunday is a celebration of the resurrection of Jesus and what he has done for us. Because the truth is this, when people know that God and Jesus loves them, this makes such a difference. It, it transforms their lives. Now today we're actually going to kick off a series called Transformed and it's going to be talking about how people are transformed by Jesus and in fact over the next couple of weeks uh, we'll encourage you to join and, and gather here with us and even to share your story of how God has transformed you. So today and every week we're going to look in the Bible, we're going to look at the story of someone who was transformed by Jesus but also every week. We're going to hear the story of how a real life person, someone you may know, has been transformed by Jesus. And so today, I'm going to invite Rebecca Romero to come forward. So give her a warm Valley Brook welcome as she shares with you how God has transformed her life. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus, for this table I can hold on to. I, I want to share a little bit of my testimony of how God transformed my life. I was born in a Christian home, a Christian loving home. Uh, my whole family's life revolved around the church. My grandfather was a pastor, my uncle as well. So every time the, the church doors were open, we were there. I grew up in the pews, literally. And, um, however, I was, I was in every activity, very active in church, all different ministries. I heard about the Lord in church. However, I did not know him. 
my relationship with God was one very distant. Um, there was a lot of um, reverence for him. But I really didn't have an intimate relationship with him. Even though I heard of him, I really didn't know him. So in particular, I remember growing up and during this holy week of Easter, watching all the movies of the enactments of the, you know, the death and the crucifixion and resurrection of Christ. And I remember um, just watching that. I couldn't wait to watch the movies. And I always cried and I, I felt so sad for Jesus. Very sad. And um, I was really very angry towards those bad people who nailed him on the cross. And it was, it was that dynamic of sadness because he was so mistreated and, and died. And those people that actually brought him to death. So I didn't have that spiritual connection to the cross. I really didn't. So life went on and um, at a point where my marriage ended up in separation and ultimately in divorce, I was at my, at my lowest point. I was really, I felt destroyed, like a total failure, um, really, really sad. And at that point, I was, I, I felt dead. I was dead. But God, God continued pursuing me. You know, even though I didn't know him, I did love him. I, deep inside, I loved him. So he continued pursuing me, and he just basically, at that point, revealed, the Holy Spirit revealed to me the true state of my heart and soul. So at that point, I surrendered, and I was ready. I was ready for him to rescue me. I was ready for him to just, just grab me and, and restore me. And um, so he did. He called me out of that tomb. And even though I couldn't run <laughs> at that point because I was dead, he nurtured me back to life. And he was so kind. He was so good. He just revealed, the Holy Spirit revealed to me his kindness, his forgiveness, his love, how uniquely loved I am by him. So we enter in this love relationship. And I fell in love with Jesus. I fell in love with the Holy Spirit. I so love the Holy Spirit. You see, the Holy Spirit revealed to me Jesus and the Father. Those I heard of that I didn't really know. So at that point, I had that revelation of what they were to me, what they have done for me. And that relationship continued. He nourished me back to life. And um, he taught me that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That he is my savior, my healer, my provider, my strength, my guide. He just reveals so much, you know, that all things he turns into good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. So, yes, I love the Holy Spirit. I, saw, I love my Holy Spirit. I love Jesus. 
and I love my ancient of days. And one of the things that I, I'm very grateful for the Holy Spirit for is that he has been revealing to me the word of God. So now the word of God to me has become alive. Alive in my life and, and powerful in my life. So I believe, I believe every single word that comes from the, from the word of God. And I believe every promise that he has for me is mine. And I believe it, 100% believe it for me. So, Pastor, I, I am so grateful that you asked me to share my testimony today of all days in Easter Day. Because, you see, I, I feel like the women at the tomb that day, when they went in looking for Jesus in the grave, and the angel of the Lord told them, Told, you know, told them, he's not here, he is alive. And they ran and told others. They went and told the others that he was alive. So I feel like this is exactly what I want to do. I want to tell others. And I want to tell the church today here that he indeed is alive. And because he is alive, I am alive. I am alive in, in Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. And I just want that hope, I want to share that hope with everybody. And so thank you so much for, for this opportunity. Rebecca, thank you for being so real and transparent with us about how Jesus has transformed your life. Now let me tell you how God works. Uh, Rebecca did not know that I'm going to be focusing on those women. In fact, one woman in particular who went to the tomb and ran back to the others and told them about Jesus. So um, remember how we said that the Lord is risen, the Lord is risen indeed. If you ever wondered why in almost every church that statement is said on Easter, it's because those women who went to the tomb and discovered it were empty, were, were told by the angels that were there to go back and tell everybody that Jesus was risen. So let me read this scripture to you from the Gospel of Matthew. After the Sabbath at dawn, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and was going to the tomb and he rolled back the stone and sat on it. And the angel said to the women, do not be afraid for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He is risen just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay and then go quickly and tell his disciples he has risen from the dead. And so the women hurried away from the tomb afraid yet filled with joy and they ran and told his disciples. That's the, the good news of the resurrection of Jesus. And, and when you read through the Gospels, the, the four accounts of the life of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you'll see that all four authors tell us that the tomb was empty and discovered by these women. These were the followers of Jesus, and, and they had gone to finish taking care of Jesus' body for burial. But what they discovered was that he wasn't buried. 
And this news and this reality of Jesus transformed their lives. And I I need to point something out to you about this actual historical account of, of the resurrection of Jesus, particularly if you're skeptical about Easter and particularly skeptical that Jesus was raised from the dead. So think about this. In the first century world, if you were writing a story that, that you wanted to uh, make up this idea that somebody was raised from the dead and that you wanted everybody to believe in it, you would try to pick the most important, the most credible witness that no one would ever argue with, that there would be no doubt about their story. So if you were writing that story in the first century world, you would have created a character, quite honestly, who was a man, not a woman. You would create a character who had social standing in the community, not someone who maybe had a troubling past. But when you read the accounts of the resurrection, that's not who discovered that Jesus was risen, and that's not who told everybody that he was alive. That's not what the four gospels tell us. They tell us that a woman or several women discovered that Jesus was raised from the dead and went to tell the others. Now, why is that significant? Because again, remember, in the first century world, Israel was a patriarchal society. That means it was ruled by men. I'm just telling you the history of the way it was. In that culture, under very limited circumstances, women were, would be allowed to even testify in a court of law. It's also the case that in the first century Jewish society, a woman's testimony was considered far less than that of a man. So if you were making up a story in an attempt to persuade others that Jesus had been resurrected, you would have never used women as the primary witnesses. Any made-up story would have been, would have featured, honestly, uh, at least the male disciples or, or somebody else who was a follower of Jesus, maybe like Nicodemus who had social standing and credibility in that culture. Men who had discovered the empty tomb because you would have wanted your story to have great credibility. But where were the, uh, the men, the male disciples? They were in hiding from the authorities because they were afraid they were going to get in trouble and arrested or worse. So women were the first witnesses to the empty tomb and they were the first ones who met the resurrected Jesus. So, so ask yourself, would the early Christian church tell a story day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, that the disciples were cowards and that the female disciples were the brave first witnesses of the resurrection unless it was true. The most likely explanation of this is that these women were the initial witnesses of the empty tomb and the earliest Christians were unwilling to lie about it even if it would have been culturally embarrassing. Now, to reinforce this, I want to share with you uh, this attitude that even the gospel writers seem to acknowledge a little bit. Luke sort of acknowledges that. He says that the male disciples didn't believe the women when they returned. So listen to this from Luke chapter 24. 
Then they returned from the tomb and told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. And their words seemed to be to them like idle tales, and they did not believe them. That's the culture. Now remember, uh, we have these four accounts of the life of Jesus told by four different people guided by the Holy Spirit to report what they saw. And while it's guided by God's Spirit, you know, each author's style is evident as they recount what they witnessed and observed. So all four, all four Gospels make it clear that a woman or women discovered that Jesus was risen. Some say that it was three women. Some say it was two women. Some say it was one woman. But there's one woman who shows up in all four accounts. One woman who discovered the empty tomb. Mary from Magdala, or as we know her, Mary Magdalene. Now, again, if you were making up a story about a woman being the first witness to the resurrection, of all the women you would choose, it would be highly unlikely that you would choose Mary Magdalene. So what's the problem with her? Well, after Jesus chose the 12 disciples, we learn from the Gospels that there were others that followed Jesus and traveled with the group. And particularly, we learn from Luke that there were women followers of Jesus who actually provided financial support for Jesus and his mission. And one of those women was Mary Magdalene. But what's my concern with Mary Magdalene? Well, in Luke's Gospel, we learn that Mary Magdalene had some significant struggles, specifically that she had been possessed by not one, not two, but by seven demons. And Jesus delivered her from those demons. So let's talk about the fact that Jesus transformed her life. So let me read from Luke's gospel. Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The 12 were with him, and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out. Joanna, the wife of Chusa, the manager of Herod's household. Susanna and many others. These women were helping to support them out of their own means. So, here's the problem with Mary Magdalene. Some, uh, someone with her background would have been highly suspect, all right? Many people would have thought she was crazy. They would have thought she was unstable, and certainly they would have thought she was unreliable. Um, in the three-year history of Jesus' ministry, we don't know when he met Mary Magdalene and delivered her from those seven demons. But the fact is that Mark's gospel specifically says that Jesus cast out those demons. Just that fact tells us what meeting Jesus did for Mary Magdalene. He transformed her life. Now, because she, she was demon-possessed, at one point in her life, there were uh, folks uh, who would obviously talk about her reputation. And, and some scholars actually uh, want to merge Mary Magdalene with another woman in Scripture. They, they contend that Mary Magdalene was the, the sinful woman in the Gospel of Luke that we read about who anointed Jesus' feet with her perfume and tears. Now, sinful woman is a 
Bible speak for prostitute. Uh, so they want to say that was her. And in fact, in, in 591, Pope Gregory authoritatively pronounced that, that Mary Magdalene and the sinful woman, and in fact, Mary, the uh, sister of Martha and Lazarus, were all the same person. But the Bible really doesn't support that. But the Bible does support that Jesus transformed Mary Magdalene's life by delivering her from not one, not two, seven demons. But not only did he transform her life, he transformed her heart. So, how do we know that? When you read through the Gospels, you actually learn something about demonic possession, whether you ever wanted to or not. And you can see that the demons were always opposed to Jesus. So it's safe to assume that the demons that possessed Mary Magdalene opposed Jesus and what he was doing. And they didn't want their host, because that's really what her body was, a host to them, to have anything at all to do with Jesus. Yet, as a human being, she was drawn to Jesus and his message despite the demons that were possessing her. And, and from scripture, we see that, that demon-possessed people like the, the man in Gerasene, they weren't able to do everything they wanted to as humans because the demons controlled them. And so while Mary Magdalene may have been drawn to Jesus, the demons would want no part of that, but Jesus cast out those demons. And he transformed Mary's life, and he transformed her heart. Let me show how Jesus transformed her heart and, and go back to the passage from Luke 8, where he talks to Mary Magdalene and the other women. It says, uh, where it talks about them, these women were helping to support them, Jesus and his mission, the disciples. They were helping to support them out of their own means. So it's clear that Mary Magdalene and these other women had financial means. And it's clear that Mary Magdalene and the others freely gave their financial means to the support of the ministry of Jesus. You know, it doesn't tell us what kind of focus those demons had. But, but you know, seems like she's a woman of means. Maybe it was about greed or avarice or, or selfishness. But... In his own words, we learn how Jesus transforms our heart when those things sort of creep into our own lives. I think we can identify with that. Selfishness, greed, avarice, those things. In the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus taught about the evidence of a transformed heart and, and it was that if you've been transformed by Jesus, it will actually transform how you handle what the Bible calls worldly wealth. So let me go to what he taught. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal for where your treasure is. There your heart will be also. If you know where your treasure is, you know that's where your heart is. And the evidence of a transformed heart was that you understand that whatever worldly wealth God has given you is to use for God's purposes. And laying up treasure in heaven is, is using your worldly wealth to help people come to know 
the transforming power of Jesus in their lives. Jesus, in this passage, is talking about heart transformation. Investing one's worldly treasure in the kingdom of God is evidence of a heart transformation. Uh, The great Christian reformer, Martin Luther, said this. He said, people go through three conversions. The first is the conversion of the head. The second is the conversion of the heart. And the third, he says, is the conversion of your pocketbook. And he says, unfortunately, they don't all happen at the same time. So it would appear that Mary Magdalene went through a head conversion, a heart conversion, and a pocketbook conversion. Seemed to happen quickly. Maybe not. But it seems that way today. So Jesus transformed her life. He transformed her heart. But he also transformed her role. As a follower of Jesus, Mary Magdalene had an important role. Every single person who decides to follow Jesus has been brought into Jesus' team. And you have an important role for the kingdom of God now as they did back then. Mary Magdalene also had another important role because She was a supporter of the ministry. She used her means, her worldly wealth, to support what God was doing through his son. But when Jesus allowed Mary Magdalene to become the first eyewitness to him, to be the first person who sees that he has been risen from the dead, from the grave, and allows her to go and share that message, she becomes the first messenger of the resurrection. And that transforms her role. Think about that. Again, first century, a woman becomes the first bearer of the good news, the first evangelist in scripture, the first messenger. Radical. Radical. Going back to the story of the resurrection of scripture, after Peter and John have seen the empty tomb, after Mary and the women have gone and told them, they go back to tell the other guys who are still hiding, all right? But Mary stays behind at the empty tomb. And in John's gospel, this is what we read, what happened. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. And as she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around, and she saw Jesus standing there, but she didn't realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you were looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. And Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. And Jesus said, do not hold on to me, for I have, yet, I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. So Mary Magdalene went 
to the disciples with this news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them what he had said about these things to her. So Mary Magdalene is the first person who gets to see and to talk to the risen Lord Jesus. And Jesus commands her to go and tell the others that she has seen the Lord. So she becomes the first evangelist. She is given that, uh, that honor to be the first messenger of the good news of Jesus. She has gone from having an important role to having the honor of being, the, to have the most important role in the body of Christ at that moment. It's a role that is recognized by the others and it's evidenced in how the Gospels write about Mary because it's interesting. Every time the disciples, the women disciples are spoken about in Scripture, do you know whose name is first? Mary Magdalene. The only time she's not first is at the crucifixion where Mary, the mother of Jesus, and some other mothers are there with Mary Magdalene. But every other time, she is spoken of first. So when you read the Gospels, we see the transformation of a woman's life from, from being oppressed and overwhelmed by demons to being a, a fully devoted, sold-out follower of Jesus. Her life is transformed. Her heart is transformed. Her role in life is transformed from being demon-possessed to being an evangelist for the good news of Jesus. I'm going to invite the band to come up, but here's what I want you to know. Jesus is a transformer of people, and Jesus is alive today. He transformed Mary Magdalene's life. He's transformed Rebecca's life. He's transformed every follower of Jesus who has put their trust in him. And if you want your life to be transformed, all you have to do is ask him and he'll come in and he'll transform your life. Now, in just a moment, I'm gonna say a prayer. I'm gonna invite you, if you've never let Jesus come into your life, to, to let him transform your life. And look, you don't have to be scared of that. He's not gonna turn you into some weirdo because he loves you. He's not going to take control of your body and make you do things you'd be embarrassed to do, but he's going to tell you that you're loved and that you're forgiven and that your future is guaranteed forever with him while you live on this earth and after your body dies. But I also want to give you a challenge, and I mentioned it earlier. If you know how Jesus has transformed your life, I would love to hear your story. If you go to our website and you go to the next steps, you'll find a tab that says, my story. I want to encourage you to go and write that. And yeah, I may ask you sometime if you'd be willing to share it with others. And you know what? No is an okay answer. You know, the, you know what the, um, uh, the biggest fear in life is. It's, it's public speaking. So I know not everybody wants to do that. But it will encourage me, and I think it'll be an awesome conversation. So I challenge you to do that. But I also challenge you to make an important decision today. If you've never told Jesus you believe in him and you want to become his follower, to let him transform your life, I invite you to do so today. If you've been his follower and you feel like you've sort of taken a different path and you want to return to the path of following Jesus, 
I invite you to do that today too. And if you do make that prayer today, if you would send us an email, not, not because we want you to put you on a list, but I have a book that will help you grow in your faith that I want to send you free of charge, no strings attached. I won't put you on an email list, I promise. So let's pray right now. If you would, bow your heads. Lord God, we thank you that you love us enough to send Jesus into this world. And so, Lord, I, I know that there are folks who have never put their trust in you and let you transform their lives. So, Lord, if there's somebody who wants to do that, we're going to give them words to pray. And, and if there's somebody who's strayed away from following Jesus and you want to recommit, I also invite you to pray this prayer. So I'm going to give you some words to pray, folks, and you just put them in your own words and pray them silently back to God. Here's the first phrase. Dear God, I believe in Jesus. I believe Jesus died to pay for my sins. I believe Jesus rose again from the dead. And today I commit to letting him transform my life. To following him every day. And we pray this in your name. Amen. I look forward to hearing how Jesus has transformed your lives. Don't hold it to yourself. Tell somebody today. Thank you for listening to our podcast. It is our sincere hope that it has blessed you. For more information, visit our website at www.valleybrook.cc. 